Hi everyone, I'm Michelle Saul, the Artistic Director of Hack Theatre. This is an episode of our new podcast series where we're discussing issues around what the current COVID-19 outbreak means for migrants, refugees and other marginalised communities at this time, with leading experts across the migrant support, legal and political sectors. Today I'm joined by Nazek Ramadan, Director of Migrant Voice. Nazek was one of our expert panellists after border control at the Vault Festival in March. Thank you so much for joining us today. So I was wondering, Nizek, the migrants who you are most concerned about at the minute, who, who are they? Thank you for having me on this podcast. Uh, well, there are uh, a few a small number of groups of migrants we are concerned about. Our biggest concern is for undocumented migrants. Uh, as you know, in this country, there's a, a quite a large number of people who are undocumented. Uh, and they're, they're extremely vulnerable. Uh, the fact that we don't speak about them, it doesn't mean they don't exist uh, because they've been absent from the discussions and media coverage. Uh, but uh, those are people who are still here, still exist, still there. Uh, we're very concerned about them because uh, we know that some of them rely on uh, working in an informal economy to survive. Uh, and now they have lost this income. Uh, we know that uh, some of them uh, manage to get help, rely on charities to get some help, like food banks, or they go to certain charities for advice, for support, for travel expenses, uh, etc. Uh, they also lost this uh, this time. Uh, they also have no access to internet. Uh, we know some of them like also some seekers, they go to libraries and charities so they can access Wi-Fi and they can, uh, you know, find out about what's happening in the world. They can, uh, you know, go online and find uh, information. So, uh, I mean, we don't know at the moment uh, how some of them are coping, uh, how they are uh, able to access information, uh, you know, at least about, you know, the situation, how to keep themselves safe. Uh, safe uh, at the moment. I mean, we all watch the news and, you know, watch TV and uh, check on the internet uh, all the latest, uh, you know, advice and uh, suggestions for how to stay safe in this uh, COVID-19 situation. Now, we don't know how they cope and, and if they have access uh, to information so they can protect themselves. Uh, I think this is a group, is a very vulnerable group. Uh, we have no idea how they're coping. Uh, and some of them might be terrified of seeking help. So we know someone who actually was uh, terrified of, uh, of seeking help. <laughs> he was very ill, but he was worried if he went to hospital uh, that you know, he might be charged for other conditions not related to COVID-19 uh, or the, the hospital might uh, inform the home office and he might be detained and deported. So he actually stayed at home and he died at home. Uh, oh of COVID-19. I mean, he died of the virus. So we know people are terrified of you know, going seeking uh, medical help and support uh, because they're worried that they might be reported to home office, they might be detained, deported, uh, or, they, you know. So this is really a group that we're very concerned about. Uh, another group we're concerned about uh, are the asylum seekers. Uh, as you know, asylum seekers, uh, they rely, they survive on... Uh, just under 38 pound a week that's almost five pound a day 38 pound a week less than 30 pounds it's 37 pound you know and 70 pounds something like this a week 
Now, this is also another vulnerable group because uh, this amount is never enough to survive on. So uh, usually asylum seekers also, they rely on food bank, on charities for, for some food, so for some hardship fund, for some clothing, for some travel expenses, also to access the internet and to, you know, to learn and to get advice. Uh, and also it's really sad, but asylum seekers and underground migrants are also concerned about the safety of their families uh, abroad. And uh, not having access to Wi-Fi and internet uh, is also an, uh, another problem. So they're not just only, maybe some of them are uh, alone, are hungry, but they're also worried about uh, their families. So uh, this is another group that we are worried about. Now, of course, there are other groups, uh, such as the groups who cannot access uh, any public uh, support and funds. I mean, amongst those people are uh, people on particular visas. Uh, uh, some of them are students, uh, international students, uh, especially the international students that we're working with at the moment for the I Want My Future Back campaign, which I'll tell you a bit more about it later. Mm. But uh, for migrants who are on whose visas are uh, about to expire soon, yeah. uh, they are, you know, we're concerned about them, but also they are very worried, very concerned. Uh, we worried about their safety, but also some of them, like uh, most of us, maybe uh, lost their job or the, the income decreased, uh, and may, they may or may not fit the criteria to renew their visa, mm. or they, they may not be able to raise, you know, the huge sum of money uh, to pay for their visas, because as you know, visa fees, that they're very uh, high in the UK, yeah. compared to... Uh, the rest of the world, in some instances, they're 20 times more than in France. So uh, the visas in UK are uh, extortionate. Uh, and we, I'm really delighted to hear that the government recently decided to extend the visa of, uh, visas of, for doctors and nurses and, and, and some people working in the medical profession uh, for one year, free of charge. This is very welcome, great. But we think they should do this actually for everyone whose visa is about to expire yeah uh, especially now given that the there is a more public support uh, and solidarity with migrants because uh, the public now could see and you know watch on the news on tv and and hear the news about migrants you know working in nhs working in in care homes uh working in supermarkets in the fields you know picking out fruits and vegetables mm. but also you know the first uh eight or nine or ten doctors to die uh, were all migrant doctors. So I think there is more support now uh, for migrants and the public maybe uh, recognize more the role uh, that migrants play uh, in our life. Uh, so yeah. we think all visas should be actually extended and no one should be made to risk their life right now to renew their visa or to, you know, if they lost income because of the COVID-19, that they should just struggle or suffer as a result. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for that. My visa expires in a couple of months. So, you know, sign me up on that campaign for sure. Because it, it is worrying. It's like, well, if the borders are shut, if, you know, um, you know, I live here with, with my partner and, you know, it's like, a, and I'm Australian. So the borders are shut in Australia. 
And there is this question of, well, can he come back with me? Can we even go? What happens if the visa does expire? Yeah. And I mean, that is just yeah. as an Australian, yeah. like, you know, let alone some people who can't speak the language. Yeah, but also think about uh, migrants who are in detention for immigration yeah. purposes. So those who the government want to de uh, deport and there's no way they can deport them at the moment. And they are still in immigration detention. I mean, think about those people as well. They're extremely vulnerable because, uh, you know, we know that in detention centers, detention centers, immigration detention centers, they're like prisons. Uh, it's not possible to do social distancing and it's not possible to follow all the, you know, health and safety uh, instruction and advice. And those people you really cannot deport because, uh, you know, borders are closed, airports are closed, and you cannot deport them. So it does not make sense that you keep people in detention. Now, we know the government also released some people from detention, a few hundreds, uh, following uh, lots of pressure from uh, other organizations. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are still many in detention, and we think, you know, it does not make sense, and they should let them out. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned as well just about uh, people's perceptions of migrants, people's attitudes of migrants. We have seen this kind of uh, view of migrants kind of soften and there is there seems to be a bit more heart. However, what is concerning me and I think in some of the other interviews we've had on these podcast series is that this uh, narrative, this you know, these voices are being lost in the media. It kind of, it seems as something really important and it seems to not be as relevant. In terms of the detention centers, how do you think the media is reporting on that? And, and what is happening with the detention centers? Are, are there many COVID cases in them? Do, I mean, are you aware of? Because I don't work uh, with a lot with detention centers, mm -hmm. but uh, we have members who have been in detention and they are now out of detention. But uh, we have heard about some cases uh, within detention centers. And I know other uh, partner organizations, they are, they've been very active and they've been, uh, we joined them uh, in calling the government and releasing people from detention, especially that uh, it's not possible to deport people at the moment and it's not safe. And there have been some cases in detention. So it just common sense, it makes sense that, you know, those people should not be detained. It's almost unlawful to keep them in detention. Absolutely. And uh, you mentioned the uh, I Want My Future Back campaign. Yeah. So what, what is yeah. that? Can you explain that a bit more? Yes, yeah, yeah. So this is another group that uh, is suffering a lot <clears throat> at the moment uh, because this is a group of students who cannot access public support, cannot work, are not allowed to work, and they're not allowed to access uh, health or uh, any other, uh, or housing or any other uh, services. Uh, the My Future Back campaign is about uh, uh, well thousands of international students who were wrongly accused of cheating in an English language test required for the visa uh, about six years ago. And uh, many of them uh, are still here trying to clear their names. Uh, but the government has been really slow in responding to all the new reports and inquiries that prove that you know those students are innocent and the evidence the government used they're not reliable uh, they're flawed uh, so those students as i said some of them are still here uh, they simply cannot go back to the countries because uh, you know they they came here for the best education in the world they have dreams uh, 
they had uh, they you know they spent the life saving of their families yeah. uh, to pay uh, you know uh, in order to access the best education the best experience in the world only to end up wrongly accused of a cheating when they didn't cheat now uh, some of them were detained some of them were forcibly deported and those students have uh, you know criminal allegation of cheating hanging you know around them for the rest of their lives. So if they go back to a country, their families will not believe them. They trust the you know, British uh, system. Uh, it's about fairness and justice and all that. Uh, also, no university will have them because they're accused of cheating. They cannot find jobs because you know, they're accused of cheating. Uh, so the, really, the only way out for them is to stay here uh, to fight in courts and to campaign to clear their names so they can get on with their lives, start building their lives. And at this moment, because they've been, they're not allowed to work, they were you know, immediately denied of access to employment or to benefit or housing or anything, uh, not that they were uh, you know, allowed to access any support before, but they could rent, and they could work a few hours like other students to support themselves. Now they lost all this, they can't even access healthcare. Now this is a, a group of, you know, of people who are, we're very concerned about. And we know they are struggling and we know they have spent a huge amount of money on legal uh, processes, on courts, uh, on, you know, legal fees. And some of them are, you know, staying with friends, uh, sleeping on, you know, sofa surfing. Uh, so I think they are really in difficult situation. And, and I think uh, we've been raising, you know, this issues campaign in parliament. Uh, been, uh, there's been lots of, you know, talks with ministers and lots of uh, communications, but the government is still uh, very slow in responding. And, and we think, you know, maybe this is a time that uh, the government did address this issue and, and you know, uh, it cleared the name of, and, and followed, you know, the advice uh, and suggestions of all those inquiries and reports uh, and all the newly found evidence information and to, you know, to help the students to, uh, to, to submit them their future again. Uh, so this is uh, the students' campaign, and some of the students are still here. Some of them are left the country, but those who are here, you know, they're in a really difficult uh, situation at the moment. Yeah, and so they they haven't been, uh, so, so so they haven't been. Um, there hasn't been a a verdict yet in the court. Is that what's happened? I mean, it's a bit complicated. There's, you know, those students have been fighting. There are thousands and thousands of students who've been fighting to clear their names in court. Uh, and and uh, many of them have really, in, you know, indeed cleared their names, but it's not that easy. It's, it's very expensive. It's very lengthy, a process. It's it's almost a nightmare. Uh, uh, but some of the students are still stuck in this process, and and some of them who win the cases, the Home Office appeal again against that and only prolong the situation. Uh, and those who win the cases, the universities will not have them, or the Home Office will give them maybe a visa for just two months or six months or three months and say, okay, go find university right now. Like at the moment, if you're given now two months, universities are not taking your students, so this is no good to you. And also some of them, you know, you're given a visa, but the home office still uh, haven't cleared your name of the allegation. So, you know, no. it's very complicated the process still. And it, it shouldn't, it doesn't need to be like this. You know, the mm -hmm. government, is able has you know the capacity and the power uh, to simplify the whole process and you know support the students and help them to get on with the rest of their lives yeah oh my gosh that is such a 
tragic case that I, I haven't heard of until you until you mentioned that. I guess in terms of ending on a on a positive note, what what are you uh, doing to uh, to support migrants at this time? Um, in terms of any social activities? Well, we're doing a lot of activities. Our activities have increased a lot, Migrant Voice, to support our members and to keep uh, the connection with our members, with the migrants across the UK. But maybe uh, one of the nice activities what we, uh, we've launched since uh, the start of the lockdown is uh, our Capitee a Zoom meeting. So this is a really uh, a social meeting, an informal meeting where uh, our members, our volunteers, our staff can just, you know, join the meeting and say hi to everyone and, you know, and tell us how they are, how they're feeling, how they're coping with the situation, with the lockdown, what's happening in their lives, what's happening in their community, what they're hearing, how they're coping, you know, are they okay? Uh, do they have any tips to help the rest of us, uh, you know, to stay strong and to, you know, survive the lockdown? Yeah. So this has been an amazing meeting and lots of people from around the world, I mean, uh, who live in UK, but we have even some of our members who uh, traveled back to Poland or to Spain or to the US or to, you know, Germany, and they still join the conversation. Amazing. Uh, it just brought people together, like, you know, as I said, from around the world with different migration status, of course, including uh, some of our volunteers and members who are uh, Britons, uh, you know, to just to say hello and to check on each other and to support each other. And in some of those sessions, uh, sometimes we have a guest for a few minutes uh, to help us with deep breathing, uh, and how to relax. And one session we had one of our volunteers who played the music. She's been practicing for a long time. She played one song to oh. cheer us up. But it's really mainly a space for people to come and say hello and have a cup of tea. We all have to have our own uh, cup of tea uh, for the final photo, but we're meant to be having tea together. Uh, so this is how we keep uh, connecting to people and we keep people talking to each other. We keep supporting each other, really. We, yeah. keep, we help each other to stay strong and you know, got something to look forward. So this is a meeting every week, every Friday from five to six, uh, as long as the lockdown is still on, uh, we will meet and uh, talk and have a tea together and say hello and check on each other and see what's happening you know, in our world and in our communities. Oh, that's, that's really beautiful. I love that. And I think that's such a strong message. We need to stay connected and, and have a cup of tea absolutely. at this time. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today and thank you so much for all of your insight into some of the issues being faced and I hope you take care. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you.